0: Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. Wonderful guest on the show today. Her name is Brenda Winkle, and she's a mindset empowerment coach and an energy healer from the Portland, Oregon area. She's the host and creator of the Waves of Joy podcast, and her mission is really simple to help people feel better. Brenda and I had a great conversation about reducing stress, reclaiming your time, finding joy, increasing your energy, and releasing guilt as well as being happy and at peace with where you are right now on your healing journey. I know you're going to love this conversation and Brenda is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to changing your mindset, which I think is a super important part of health. And so I want you to go into the show notes as well when you're done listening to the episode, check out some of the resources that she shared with us as well as her website and podcast. Let's get into my conversation with Brenda Winkle welcome to the show. Hi, Daphna. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited for our conversation today. We are talking about mindset, which is something that is super important for anyone on a health journey. And what you and I discussed previously is that we'll focus more on helping women feel more joyful as they're going through their health journey feeling positive, worthy, really focusing on finding joy in this whole process regardless of where they are, which is I know something that you help women with, right? Yes,
1: that's right. In fact, my whole focus is on finding joy in daily life and that's the name of my podcast, Waves of Joy. Let's Love normalize it. finding joy in the ups and downs
0: because we all have them. Yes. So we're going to get into that in detail because I think a lot of women are in a place where they're even doubting if it could be joyful, right? If if getting healthier, changing your mindset, changing your habits could be a process that they love and enjoy and feel excited about. But we before we do that, would you mind introducing yourself? Tell my listeners who you are and what you do. Of course. So my name is Brenda Winkle, and I am a
1: mindset empowerment coach and an energy healer. And I got my start in a really unpredictable way. I had been a music educator for many, many years. In fact, I just stopped in the classroom about three weeks ago to run my business full time. So I had been a music educator for a long time. But I was sort of in the field of thinking that this was good enough, that life was as good as it was going to get, and that this is just the way that it was. And I think that that happens for so many people where you just feel like this is how it is and I'm gonna make the best of it. And we tell ourselves that that's positive thinking. And it is, it's definitely a coping mechanism. And in my case, it kept me stuck in an abusive marriage because I didn't give myself permission to really embrace happiness. In fact, I was in such deep denial, I didn't understand fully that I was in an abusive marriage. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. And it happens to so many people. So I was a Mary Kay sales director at the time, working part-time as as a Mary Kay sales director and then also still in music education. And I was preparing for a trip that I'd won. And I told my national sales director, I can't go on this trip because you know my husband at the time just didn't feel comfortable about it. And the trip was to the Caribbean. It was a cruise and it was going to cost me like $200 or something. It was just a, a great deal. And we got off the call with our, our unit and then she called me privately and she said, you need help. What you're talking about is more than business. What you're talking about is telling me that you need help. And I respected her a lot, enough not to get angry, but I was a little bit indignant and I was like, what do you mean I need help? That's kind of offensive. You don't tell people that, but, <laughs> but I respected her enough to to at least give it some thought. So the next day I was setting up for an event at a big hotel conference room with another sales director and I brought my five-year-old daughter and she brought her little toys and she was playing with pretty ponies on the tables as we were setting up for the event. And we talked the whole time and I felt like it was really wonderful. And that night I got home and my phone rang and it was this this woman who I'd set up the event with and she said, what else are you going to let him take away from you? And I said, excuse me? And she said, I know what's happening in your house. And I went right into the shame of, oh my gosh, there's dishes in the sink. There's a mess on the floor. That's what you're talking about. And she's kept talking and she said, I know what's happening in your house because I used to live in a house the same way. Mm -hmm. And it's not what you're saying. It's what you're not saying. Mm -hmm. And you need help. And I'm like, oh my gosh, two women I really respect in the like one week's time have told me I need help. So most people would maybe go get help. And I did, but I went with the idea that I was going to prove them wrong. I was going to prove to them how much I didn't need help. So I went willingly, but maybe not with pure intention. So I get into the counselor's office and I tell her a very sort of glossed over version of what was happening and felt like, you know, I definitely told the truth, but I was, you know, just pretty even about things. And it was shocking to me when she closed her little folder covering her writing. And she sat back in her chair and she said, I never counsel divorce, but you need an exit plan. You're in real danger. And I just went cold. And so we talked about what that would mean and what that would look like. And I got in the car and I was driving home thinking about, okay, this means I need my car parked so that I can always face forward out of the driveway. I need to know where my keys are. Someone needs to know where I am all the time. And I'm thinking, I bet she's wrong. I bet it's not that big a deal. I mean, denial was deep. So I called the National Domestic Violence Hotline thinking, I bet they're going to tell me it's just okay. It's all in my head. And they told me exactly the same thing this counselor had told me. And that's when I got really scared. And so I still felt like, because when you're in an abusive situation, things are twisted and they're warped because the, the reality just doesn't feel like reality because it's shifting under your feet all the time. And so I decided that what I needed to do was to record conversations. So for two weeks, I wore a mini recorder in my bra and I recorded every conversation. And then I would listen to them when my ex-husband was asleep. And that was enough to make me realize I was in really big trouble. And so we left with two suitcases, $400 and my five-year-old daughter, and we moved into a domestic violence shelter and we lived there for a time. And then I moved in with my parents for a few weeks and then I was 35 at the time. And, you know, there's an expiration date when you're 35 and you move home with your parents. And so (laughs) even though I still had the same two suitcases and two more boxes that this woman who helped me set up the event had given me and a couple boxes for my mom, I rented a house. And decided we could just make do and we could figure it out. Well, my Mary Kay sisterhood came in and completely furnished the house. Wow.
0: That's amazing.
1: It was so cool. It was incredible. And so at that moment, I decided my mission in my life was to empower other women and to give back so that people would know that they have the strength and the skills and the knowledge to really live their best lives. And I also knew at that time, I had no business helping anyone because I needed to to heal and to get whole. And so that was in 2007. In 2015, I got introduced to Reiki after a yoga class. Mm -hmm. And I got a a session. Someone said, how about if I just treat you to a Reiki session since you haven't heard of it? And I was like, yes. Yes that'd be amazing. And so I just loved it. Signed up right away to become a Reiki one and then went through Reiki two certification, became a Reiki master. A year later, got introduced to Theta Healing and then eventually became an advanced Theta Healing practitioner. And so the healing arts and the mindset coaching just kind of flowed together. And so
0: that's what I've done since 2015. That's an incredible story. I don't think I've ever heard such a story of courage first of all. So I want to kind of recognize you for that. But also I want to ask you from that low point that you were in from that moment where you moved with your parents and then to your own place with your daughter, what was the first thing that helped you start healing? What was the first thing that you felt like got you on the right path? Acknowledging how I felt.
1: I think that so many times we try to tell ourselves what I'm feeling isn't what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. What I'm experiencing isn't what I'm experiencing. And the moment that we actually give our true experiences and our genuine feelings space to exist is the moment healing can begin. Mm -mm.
0: Yeah. I always tell women it's sometimes more comfortable to stay in something that you know is not serving you or to be, like you said, in deep denial than to actually change because change is scary. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's unknown. We don't know, at least with what we are familiar with, we're comfortable, we're already doing it, even if it's not the best thing for us, or, you know, we want, we don't want to recognize that it's not serving us in any you know, certain way, but at least it's familiar when we're going into, into change. It's unknown. And that's very scary. It is very scary. And you know, the thing is, we
1: always feel like we're going to mess it up. when you're in that state, right? You feel like if I make this choice to make the change, I'm going to mess this up. But the thing I would say is your higher self always knows what's right for you. So if you're listening to those little nudges that you're getting, and you really follow your heart, you'll never make a mistake. It might be something that's not permanent. Like, you know, I wouldn't have lived in the shelter for the rest of my life. And I didn't live in that house for very long either. But I don't feel like that was a mistake. It was the next step. And so if we give ourselves permission to take the next step, whatever that looks like, and give ourselves permission to also change our mind from that next step, then it it feels a lot easier mm-hmm. to start on the road of change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, I think that you're the perfect person to talk about struggle, right? From that point, from everything that you've gone through. And I want to ask you for women who are listening now, who may be struggling with something that is related to their health, their relationship, whatever struggle, and everyone has struggles, right? So whatever, however that shows up in their life, and it can feel very negative, very hopeless. How do you enter a process of healing From a positive place after you've struggled, after someone's been through a lot of different things and they may feel pretty, you know, defeated in a lot of cases. And I see this a lot in, you know, with my clients and in my audience. How does someone find the courage and enter the process of healing from a positive mindset after all that? I love this question.
1: And the answer is probably going to be surprising to some people. It's giving yourself permission to feel better. It really is permission. We're so addicted to feeling bad because it's comfortable. Well, it's not comfortable. It's familiar. Yeah. We're so addicted to it that when we start to feel better, we sort of go into this like turtle shell moment where we stick our head out for a minute and we feel really good. And then we get scared. Oh, this is almost too good. I think I better, you know, tuck back into my turtle shell and feel bad some more. And that's really normal. That happens to all of us, but it doesn't have to be that way. Life really can feel good. And so in little, tiny, minute doses, find ways to build your tolerance to feeling good. So maybe that's lighting a beautiful candle that smells just the perfect way you want it to smell. Maybe that is putting on a song you love and dancing it out and just allowing yourself to feel really good in that moment those little glimpses of feeling good give you the courage and build your capacity to feel better so that you can string those moments together so that more and more and more of your day feels that good.
0: Is it kind of like fake it till you make it, even if you don't feel like doing the thing, but doing it anyway, giving yourself permission to do it in a place where you may not totally be in the mood to do something that's fun or positive or feels good but you do it to almost kind of train your brain to want that thing over and over again absolutely
1: absolutely it's it's also about like if you study the work of Abraham Hicks or Esther and Jerry Hicks if you if you google them they're they're magnificent so if you study the work of Abraham he or they say that life is supposed to feel good life is supposed to be fun and that our emotions are like a guiding light If something feels good, continue to move towards that thing. If something feels bad, move away from that thing. It's really like an indicator that you are moving towards something your higher self likes when you feel good. And so it is a little bit like fake it till you make it in the sense that you have to be willing to disrupt that feeling bad cycle by choosing to feel good. And I did a podcast episode called Five Things to Do When You're Sad. And I got more feedback on that episode than any other episode I had I had published up to that time. And I realized this is such a universal feeling that I created a little guide called the Feel Better Fast Guide. And so it's a cheat sheet where it gives you ideas of things that can make you feel better and then a worksheet so you can customize it with things that feel better specific to you. And I didn't name it very originally. It's just called the Feel Better Fast Guide. (laughs) And so it's on my website, brendawinkle.com forward slash fast, all one word, all lowercase. Because if we're willing to recognize when we don't feel good, and then we intentionally find a way to feel better, everything shifts.
0: Yeah. I totally agree. It's kind of this cascade effect where you start doing something and then you're more motivated and more inclined to do more of that thing, treat your, you know, and it's really a form of self-care, right? So when you're doing stuff like that, you're nurturing yourself, you're nourishing your soul, you're feeling good, you're feeling joyful, and then you're more likely to continue to take care of yourself when you're in that mindset. Exactly. And, you know, energy
1: travels through everything that we do. And so if you're feeling good and you send that email, you'll get a different response than if you're feeling bad or if you're feeling good and you make that phone call. That's why, I mean, we all know this intuitively, but I'm just pulling it out into our awareness because the moment that we feel good and then we take that inspired action step, things start to unfold for us in ways that are, they're truly magical and Mm -hmm. it feels so cool. And if you're in that place of, feeling bad or feeling shame or feeling scarcity, and then we take the actions, people kind of move away from it because they can feel that. It's almost like they got the memo on your energy.
0: Right. So speaking about energy and people around us, oftentimes we're talking now about things that we can control, right? How we respond, how we set our day up, what we do, how do we bring joy into our life? What about the people around us that may not be on the same wavelength all the time with what we're trying to accomplish and how we want to show up every day. How do you deal with people who are not supportive, kind of giving you the stink eye when you're doing these things, don't like it when you change and maybe it doesn't serve them, right? We, you know, this is something that a lot of women listening may be experiencing with friends, sisters, spouses, close close family and friends where the circle of the, of the people closest around them is not fully supportive? What are some oh my of gosh. the things?
1: Yeah. I love this question. So this is the meat of what I do because I identify as a recovering people pleaser. Yes. And so <laughs> <too>. when you're <laughs> in the people pleasing mode, everybody else's thoughts, opinions, and feelings come ahead of yours. And so the first thing that we have to do is recognize that we're in that people pleasing cycle. And that doesn't make us a bad person. It just means we're in a cycle that we can now change. So one of the things that comes up for people is if you're a people pleaser, chances are you're also empathic to a certain extent and you really understand and take on the emotions and feelings of people around you. And if you're having your own feelings about the change and then someone around you reflects your fear back to you or your anxiety back to you, it can really stop us in our tracks. So one of the things that you could do is something a little bit energetic and that is to zip up your energy. And so starting at your pubic bone, just make a zipping motion all the way up over your head, over the back of your head and do that three times. And because the universe operates all on intent, your intent is to protect your energetic field from the energetic field of other people. And what this does is it allows you to become aware of what your feelings are and it allows you to notice where your feelings begin and where someone else's feelings begin so that you can separate them out. Mm -hmm. So that's a really important first step. And then a lot of times it comes to setting boundaries when we are dealing with our loved ones who want the best for us. And I really think that's important to say is a lot of times the people that are really not wanting us to change are not doing it from a place of unkindness. They're doing it because they love us and they want to protect us. And that still means we might want to set some boundaries. Right. The intention could be good, but still it may not serve us. Right. Exactly. And so I always think of boundaries as like a property line. So if we were thinking about housing, for example, we don't get emotional about knowing this is where my property line is and this is where your property line is. We don't get emotional about that. We just know that's where the line is. Our boundaries are the same way our boundaries help us know this is where I am. This is where you are. It's not an emotional thing. It's a really clean way to communicate because when we have really good boundaries, we can show up in more authentic ways. And we can include more people in our intimate relationships because we know that we can have the strength and the ability to say, Oh, this isn't feeling good right now. Could we please shift this conversation? And if we don't feel like we have good boundaries, a lot of times we end up hiding. We end up like pulling back from relationships. We end up canceling on people. We end up agreeing to do things that we don't want to do. So when we're, when we're talking about boundaries, it's specific to your audience, boundaries around food. I am a plant-based eater and you don't have to be a plant-based eater to, to enjoy this little document I created. The idea of boundaries comes up all the time for people. And so I've taught this in several courses for other course creators about how to have boundaries around your foods. And I have three specific things, eating with family, eating in social situations and avoiding self-sabotage by setting Mm -hmm. boundaries. And so I have a free guide called Plant-Based Help. And again, not very original, but you know what it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's at brendawinkle.com forward slash plant-based help. So the thing that I would say to people is eliminate the sense of guilt. What you put in your body is one of the most intimate decisions that you can make. And if something does not feel congruent to you with your values and your goals, it is absolutely okay to say that and to own that. Because when we end up eating something that doesn't feel aligned for us, like let's say your children want to go out for ice cream and you have decided that you're not going to eat dairy and you eat the dairy ice cream, then you go home and you're beating yourself up the whole time. When if you can just set the boundary of you can have the ice cream, but you're going to choose the sorbet, which doesn't have the dairy or, or whatever this might be, right. then it feels better because one of the biggest boundary issues that I see in women is the boundaries they have with themselves. So when we can firm up our personal boundaries, it becomes so much easier to talk about boundaries with our loved ones. Mm -hmm. And I use a Terry Cole. If you aren't familiar with Terry Cole, she is lovely. She wrote the book Boundary Boss and she's got a podcast, The Terry Cole Show. And it's it's really, really cool. She has a four-part boundary statement that I have adapted to use in my own life. And it's really simple. I noticed that I felt I'd like to make a request. Can we agree? So that might sound like, I noticed that you brought home some ice cream from the store. I felt a little frustrated with that because I had been talking to you about not wanting to eat the dairy and you know how much I love ice cream. I'd like to make a request that if you bring home frozen desserts that they be made of fruit so that I can honor my own decision not to eat the dairy. Can we agree moving forward that we will work together to try and support each other's goals?
0: I love that. I love that it's focused around you and your needs as opposed to, you know, a lot of times when we start with you, Mm -hmm. there's a blame that's associated with that. And that's not the kind of conversation that, you know, would lead to the results that we want.
1: Right. Then you're just talking about how you're talking.
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I love that framework. It can work for so many things, right? So it's something that is very, you know, versatile, can be adapted and Really leads the conversation to the end result, which is to help you be in alignment with your goals and boundaries. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: And the first time that you use a boundary statement, you're probably going to have heart beating fast and you might have sweaty palms and you might feel like your mouth is dry. And then you're going to say it and you're going to be like, whoa, that wasn't hard at all. I did it. So I encourage people to give it a try because it's so much easier than you think it's going to be when you have a framework.
0: Yeah. And I think we start noticing how many opinions people have about what we are doing and how many suggestions we're getting that are unsolicited. Once you pay attention to that and you also pay attention to how it's impacting you, you can really start to, you know, unpack what's happening and make a change. So like you said in the beginning, awareness and giving yourself permission to set boundaries in this case is really the first step, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It is giving yourself permission to set the boundaries. Because here's the thing. No one is going to care about your boundaries more than you.
0: Right. It's true. It's true. And we, you know, we can't expect someone to help us if we're not communicating what it is that we need. Right. We all want, you know, we want spouses and people around us to be mind readers. We want them to just know what we want, but they don't. They don't. They don't. We have to tell them. (laughs) We have to tell them. But yeah, we can be assertive, but still respectful about it. You know, so there's a fine line there, though. There is a fine line. And that comes back to the people pleasing. So
1: for example, my daughter is 20. She is almost 21. She'll be 21 in October and she eats most vegetables, except she will not eat zucchini, like will not. Now, as somebody who's plant based, zucchini is a really Common food to include in plant based eating. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have had to come up with some agreements, which is she doesn't want the zucchini and I respect that. But we have an agreement that if I blend it or use a food processor, then I can add it to the foods, like maybe marinara sauce or something to give it a little nutritional boost. And so it's also about talking and then not letting. Yeah. 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 And then not letting someone control what you're putting in your body because that leads to resentment every single time.
0: Yes. Yes. Open communication, say what you want, talk about, brainstorm about ways that it can actually work for you. Don't assume everyone knows anything, Like Nobody knows anything about what you want, right? (laughs) Exactly. That's that's the reality. And nothing is too small or negligible to talk about because if it's important to you, it's important enough to talk about. Like zucchini, for example. Yes,
1: exactly. 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 (laughs) And when you get those little nudges or like sometimes it's a little flash of, maybe it's irritation or anger, that is a cue to you that you need to set a boundary. Yes. And so I started, when I started listening to that in myself, I was like, oh, so the person I'm really irritated with right now is me because I'm not saying what it is that I need.
0: Yeah. Do you find that journaling is helpful in that process? Because some people may not be aware of what's holding them back. Yeah. I think
1: journaling is beautiful practice. Hal Elrod, he wrote a book called The Miracle Morning. And he has five things that he does every single day. He meditates. He visualizes. He uses affirmations in the form of I'm committed to whatever the affirmation is and he exercises and he writes. And I really feel like even if you don't know how to journal, just giving yourself permission to write something, it doesn't have to be a perfect sentence. No one is grading your grammar, but just writing to download some thoughts can be so helpful. And there's a lot of research that says holding pen to paper is a really therapeutic approach.
0: Yeah. I'm a total pen and paper person and thank God for the grammar because I would definitely fail that test. So (laughs) I'm all for journaling freestyle. Totally. Me Me too. I don't want
1: anyone to read through my journal and like correct my spelling or sometimes I scratch things out and sometimes it's pretty, but most often it's not.
0: Yeah. All right. I love that. Yeah. I think journaling is something that women need to kind of practice with before deciding if it's for you or not, right? Mm -hmm. We can't just make it, you know, a lot of women are like, I'm not sure I'm into it. I've never done it before. But it could be very simple. And it could be literally like a three, four sentence note to yourself. There are no rules about journaling. And I think the awareness that it brings, the insights that comes up from journaling can really be, you know, meaningful. So I think so too. Do you encourage your clients to journal? And like I do food journals. I love that. I actually have a few different options. So I offer them the opportunity to journal using pictures. So they have the opportunity to upload pictures of their food if they want, and then just journal a little bit about what it was, how it felt. Will they eat this again? More about the experience of eating and kind of how it made them feel. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm less so about the numbers and the journaling of calories or anything like that. So we don't really do that, but we use it more for quality measures, I would say, like to understand the quality of what they're eating and how it made them feel in their body. I love that. That's so powerful because you're focusing on that feeling state. Yes. So then it's just black and white. This made me feel good. This didn't. Yeah. And it's also literally a snapshot of their day in terms of food. So they can always go back and look. And it's so much more fun to look at pictures than you know, look at grams or calories or cups or whatever it may be, right? So it's a little yes. bit of a, yes, a more positive way of of doing that. So speaking of that, changing habits is hard. And I'll be the first to tell you, and you probably know this as well, it takes work, right? Getting to a point where you're comfortable with your healthy eating habits, with making the food, preparing, keeping up with some of the things that you know are good for your body, it does take some effort. I wanted to ask you, what would you recommend for someone who's in the thick of it and kind of getting, you know, adjusted to a new way of eating and they're starting to feel like it's a lot of work. They're starting to feel like, you know, it's taking up a lot of time, but they know it's the the right thing to do. How can they find joy in this process given what it takes to -hmm. do it properly? What would you say?
1: I would say that having a big why is probably the most impactful decision that you can make in any change journey. Because if your why is big enough, when you hit those little bumps in the road, they're just a bump in the road. And if your why isn't big enough, then it's easy to be like, ah, never mind. I don't want the change that much anyway. And so I feel like the more internal our whys are, And when I say internal, like talking about food specifically, if I'm trying to eat food choices because of a way that I'm going to look, it's easy for me to not make good choices because that feels external. And sometimes I might just get, you know, like, nah, I don't want to do that. I really want the French fries instead. But if my why is I want to be able to hike Machu Picchu when I'm in my 50s, that's a bigger why for me. And so that is going to impact my choices and it makes my choices easier to stick with because my why is big enough.
0: Mm-hmm. So usually what would you consider a big enough why? Something that is maybe more centered around experiences or being with people. Like, can you give us some examples of how would someone know if their why is significant and meaningful enough for them to I think with it? You... Oh, that's such a good question. If your why is big
1: enough to make you emotional about it, if thinking about not being able to do or have that thing makes you emotional, it's a big enough why. So, like, for example, do you want to be healthy so you can pick up your grandkids? Do you want to be healthy so that you can get pregnant? Do you want to be healthy so that you can travel the world with your spouse? Do you want to be healthy because maybe you've had a health health issue and you see your own mortality? So, I think it will vary by person. And maybe for someone, the why is, I didn't feel good about myself when I was in high school and I really want to feel beautiful now. That could be a big enough why, even though it's externally motivated. So it's going to be totally unique to everybody. But if it's big enough to make you feel something, then it's probably big enough.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I totally agree. I love that you said that. If it makes you emotional, if it gives you that little like skipping of a beat in your heart, you know that it's big enough and it's meaningful and it's worth pursuing, right? So yes, there could be challenges. Yes, there are ups and downs, but your why is keeping you going because you know what life would look like when you get there, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of that, I know one of the things that you teach is manifesting. So Mm -hmm. speaking of the life that you want, living the way that you desire, can you tell us a little bit about what that is first? So a lot of my listeners I think are not familiar with manifesting. I'm very new to the concept of manifesting as well, so I'll be fully honest about that. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is?
1: Absolutely. So it's called a lot of different things. Some people call it manifesting, some people call bringing into fruition, and you know, you can call it whatever you want, but it is simply aligning your thoughts and your actions with what you want so that you can bring that into the world. Because our thoughts really carry energetic signatures. So if you're thinking, for example, I'm going to use my Machu Picchu as an example. If I'm thinking how it's going to feel when I'm hiking Machu Picchu next year, I turn 50 in February. And so I'm like, what can I do before or right after I turn 50 that will feel really cool? So let's take this as, as an example. If I'm hiking Machu Picchu, what's it going to feel like When I'm overlooking the vista and there's mist on the tops of the mountains and what's it going to feel like on my skin? What's it going to look like to my eyes when I watch the sunrise or the sunset? How's it going to smell? Is it going to smell like kind of wet grass? All of those kinds of things. That would be an example of manifesting this trip. And I'm manifesting it because I'm thinking about the feeling states, what's going to happen, what's it going to feel like. It's something I really, really want. If I was doing the opposite, oh my gosh, this is expensive. Oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get there. What's it going to look like? That would be the the example of my thoughts getting in the way of making it ever happen. Could it mm-hmm. still happen if I'm thinking that way? Absolutely. hundred percent. It still could, but it's a heck of a lot harder. Mm-hmm. So when we manifest, we are intentionally deciding what it is we want to experience or bring into our lives. And then we're intentionally putting our thoughts focused on that thing. And it's interesting. Mike Dooley says the universe is so stacked in our favor that even if we can spend five minutes a day visualizing and really feeling into the things that we want, that even if we're negative for the rest of the day, that's enough power to bring things into existence. And I would say that that is true, but why not feel good all the time? I feel like the more you set a goal and then go about your day feeling good, like I always say, joy is my job and my thoughts are my employer. I love that. And so the more joyful that I can be, the more things just kind of pop into my reality and pop into my, my existence. And I'm being intentional about what I want to bring into the world and... I'm experiencing joy and letting go of the house. Mm-hmm. When we start to try to control how something is going to happen, we strangle it. Can it still happen? Of course it can, but it's gonna be a lot harder. And let's face it, even though we really want to control things, the surprise and delight that we experience when something just kind of shows up in an unexpected way is so cool. And if we think about it, we've all done this. We've Mm -hmm. all done it throughout our lives where we just had something that we really deeply desired, whether it's wanting to get married or wanting to buy that house or wanting a specific kind of car. And we just imagine what it would feel like to do all those things. Maybe it's imagining walking down the aisle or imagining shopping on the car lot, whatever that is. And then you experience it and you say, oh my gosh, I've been dreaming about this. You've all done it. But when we talk about manifestation from my lens, we're being really intentional and purposeful about aligning our thoughts with what we
0: want. Okay, so it's kind of like the law of attraction, right? Yeah, exactly. So how would someone use that in their health journey? Can you give us examples of what that may look like? Absolutely. So if you are thinking thoughts about, I
1: am unhealthy, I am fat, I am this, it is going to be difficult for you to move into a different space Because those thoughts are going to be attracting more of that negativity. So if we're on a health journey, thinking about being healthy, imagining what it's going to feel like to feel the way you want to feel, whether it's about a feeling state or a health state or a size, imagining that. And then one of the things that people get tripped up on sometimes is affirmations. So if you use an affirmation, like let's say, what would be a really common health goal that you hear your clients say? Regulating their period. Perfect. So let's say my goal is to regulate my period. And then I'm talking about how dysregular it is and how unexpected it is and how what an inconvenience it is for it to pop up all the time. I'm bringing more of that into my my experience. So if you say to yourself, I regulate my periods and that's your affirmation, your mind, your ego might say, no, you don't, nope that's not working. I mean, just look at last month. So a way around that is to phrase it as a question. What will it feel like when my periods are regular? What will it feel like to know I can plan my vacation schedule or and know when my period is going to arrive? What will it feel like to know when I need
0: to bring supplies? So asking
1: those questions can really be helpful.
0: So this ties back to journaling because I think this is a great thing to journal over, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's so
1: fun to look at your journal entries and realize how much you have brought into your experience over time.
0: It's really, really fun. Okay, great. So manifestation can come in different ways. Like you said, it can be practiced in different ways. Visualization, thoughts, affirmation, journaling, all of it kind of is, you know, interrelated in a way. So there's, again, no right or wrong way to do it, right? Well, I think the wrong way would be trying to control it. But yes,
1: you can journal, you can do affirmations, you can do visualizations, you can do positive thinking, you can also just set a goal and forget it and make sure you're feeling good along the way. And when I say set it and forget it, what I mean is automate as much as you can in your day, in your habits. So maybe that looks like you're food shopping on one particular day and you're food prepping for the week on another particular day. And then you just set it and forget it. You give it those thoughts on those two days and then you go out and you
0: live your life on the other Mm -hmm. five days of the week. And it's constantly living as if you've already accomplished that thing, right? So that's part of manifestation as well. Well,
1: yeah, it can be. The place that it gets sticky for people is especially if, if it's a financial goal or if it's a size of clothes goal. So let's say if you have a size of clothing that you want to be wearing, you don't go wear those clothes right now because it's not going to feel good in your body. And so the trick is really feeling good right now, Mm -hmm. right now, feeling good. And so that would be the same thing if you're trying to bring in health goals or you're trying to bring in financial goals. The feeling state, feeling good right now is more important than anything else you can do. And so... When I say feeling good right now, one of the places we get tripped up is we think that the place that we have to feel good is directly opposite of the place that we feel bad. We think that in our ego brains, but it's not true. If I'm feeling bad about my health, I can still feel really good by dancing it out to Lizzo. And I'm gonna feel better in general just because I've done that, because I've expended some energy, I've raised my vibe. And so one of the most important things that, that I feel like is remembering what made you feel bad does not have to shift for you to feel good. You can feel good independent of whatever it was that made you feel bad. And that is the key to manifesting.
0: Okay, great. It reminds me of a conversation that we had in my group coaching call a few weeks ago, where we talked about the difference between the gain and the gap. So someone wanting to reach a certain goal and constantly looking at the gap, how much longer they have to go or why are they not still there? Or this is too difficult of a goal to get to. That's the gap. But if you're looking at the gain, like you said, how can I feel good right now about what I'm already doing, right? What am I already gaining in the process of just trying to reach this goal? So yes, I'm not there yet, but I can feel good about this exact moment in time where I'm at right now. And it's not goal dependent, right? Like you said, we don't have to be there to feel good. We don't have to wait to feel good until we're there.
1: Yes, exactly. And one of the greatest causes of human suffering is I'll be happy when dot, dot, dot. No, be happy now. Be happy now because when you make that conscious choice, I'm going to feel good now. And again, it's about building that tolerance for feeling good. And it's a weird thing to say, but but we do have to build that tolerance because we're so habituated into feeling bad that we need to build that tolerance to feeling good and then everything else unlocks.
0: Yeah. Do you think that relates to worthiness, to feeling? Okay, can Mm -hmm. we talk about that for a second?
1: Yeah, I think worthiness comes up for a lot of people because you know at the end of the day, if you don't feel like you're worth having the things that you really want, you're going to have self-sabotaging behaviors. And the thing that I would say is, you are worthy just because you're you. You're not worthy because you've done certain things. You're not worthy because you're a certain weight. You're not worthy because you have a certain health. that you have or don't have. And love is not earned. You are worthy just because you're here. Mm -hmm. And so the more we can really learn to believe that about ourselves and remind ourselves that love is not earned, I am worth love right now. Even if I just did something that sabotaged my efforts, I'm still worthy of love.
0: Absolutely. Okay, that's absolutely a message that I think a lot of women need to hear. And it's a process, right? It's something that takes time to learn. And to think about, and like you said, journal about, right? So it's mm-hmm. something to process because, you know, women may have had years and years of feeling unworthy, feeling frustrated with themselves, feeling resentful. And oh, so, of course.
1: yeah. And we live time. in a patriarchal society. And so there's messaging that we receive all the time about the worthiness of of what it is to be a woman. And the patriarchy, I want to just clarify, is not men. It's a system. Mm -hmm. And we're in a patriarchal system that really doesn't value women. And so when you're constantly hearing messages about what your value is as a woman that is less than, it's easy to believe that. But you know, It was only in the last couple of hundred years that that was true in our society in the United States. And if you look around the world, there's cultures all around the world that value and really lift up women. And so we can look at some of those cultures as guidance too. Like, for example, in the Jewish Mm -hmm. culture, women are cherished and loved. In the Greek culture, women are cherished and loved. And so when we're being raised and living in an American culture where we don't feel value and we continue to get messages around my body is what determines my value, then we have to decide which of those messages we're going to actually believe and which messages we're going to reject and really tap into our own inner knowing and our own inner sense of worth.
0: Okay. I love that. And I love your message. So I think that's something that I am really grateful for today, because I think a lot of women need to hear this. So thank you so much for saying that. Before we wrap up, and I have three rapid fire questions for you. So I hope you're ready. I, I wanted so. to ask you, <laughs> they're not that hard. I wanted to ask you if there's anything else that you want to leave my listeners with today.
1: I think the thing that I would like your listeners to know is you can do or have or be anything. There's literally no limit. The only thing that you need to do is to believe you can do, be, or
0: have it. That's it. I love it. All right, great. Are you ready for three rapid fire questions? Yes. Let's do it, Brenda. What is your favorite food? Oh,
1: my favorite food. I love apples. Like... Apples are one thing that if I see one on a table, it's hard for me to walk past it or slices of apples. I just, I love them. I love other things too, of course, but apples are something I really want to eat every single day.
0: All right. We're going into fall. So it's your season. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Who is one famous person living or dead that you would love to sit to dinner with? Oh, that's a good question. One famous person. Oh my
1: gosh, this is hard. One famous person. Let's see. (laughs) You know, I want to go to dinner with Lizzo. And I want to go to dinner with Lizzo because her message of empowerment is so pure. And I was a band nerd. In high school, I played the clarinet and the saxophone. And I love that here is this amazing, lit up, beautiful star who sometimes
0: plays the flute. And my inner band nerd is like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I love everything about her, her music, her message, everything. So I agree with you. All right. Last one. If you were not a mindset coach, what would you be? A photographer. Oh. Ooh, yeah,
1: I had a photography studio for a few years before I opened up my current business. And I loved it. I love taking photos. I did weddings, and then I went into women's glamour photography. And I really loved that. and but the part I loved most was talking to people before and after their sessions, which is what led me to what I do now. But if I ever was going to switch, I would be a photographer.
0: I love that. Brenda, thank you so much for being here. Where can my listeners find you? Thank you for having me. The hub of everything is my website,
1: brendawinkle.com. And I'm on Instagram at brendawinkle. And I just started a TikTok channel and I've got like 40 people over there with me. So come (laughs) on and join me.
0: (laughs) I think it's brendawinkle111. Okay, great. We'll link to it in the show notes so everyone can come check you out on your website and on TikTok. How fun is that? All right. Well, thank you again for being here. And thank you for having me. I love this conversation. It was great. I really hope that women walk away feeling more positive, more joyful, more excited about what they're doing and loving themselves right now, which I think is the most important thing.
1: I do too. Thank you again for having me.